I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast, a monthly roundtable podcast where the brothers behind threebrothersfilm.com have substantial, nuanced conversations about film. I'm Aaron Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers, Anders, and Anton. My last name is the same as my brothers. And this month, we're carving our jack-o'-lanterns and talking about David Gordon Green's Halloween Ends, as well as offering some horror movie suggestions for Halloween. But first, thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review and share the show with family and friends. Also remember to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and read our written work at threebrothersfilm.com. And now, on to the show. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. I was certain that I saw him watching me. You pretend like you moved on, but you're actually just obsessed with death. What are you gonna do when Michael comes back for you? Because he is coming. But this time, something feels different. He's more dangerous. David Gordon Green's new Halloween trilogy was meant to be a corrective to the increasingly silly sequels and remakes the series produced over the years. It erased the continuity of all but John Carpenter's original film, and jettisoned any of the supernatural elements the series had introduced in the interim. The first film in 2018, simply entitled Halloween, was a classic requel, a back-to-basics film where Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode was a traumatized survivor waiting for the inevitable day when Michael Myers would break out of prison and return to Haddonfield, Illinois to finish the job. The film dealt with Laurie's dysfunctional life in the wake of the original film, while also repeating many of the narrative beats of the original film, while incorporating Laurie's daughter and granddaughter into the narrative. The sequel, Halloween Kills, effectively acted like the original Halloween 2, with Laurie sidelined in the hospital during its runtime, and the townspeople of Haddonfield ganging up to deal with the rampage of Michael Myers, who leaves an unfathomable reign of discretion in his wake. If Halloween was elegant, Kills was brutal and overstuffed, more grisly supercut than horror film. It was as ridiculous as the sequels its predecessor was meant to overwrite. Now, with Halloween Ends, Green pivots again, and has made perhaps the most peculiar Halloween sequel ever. Most of the film focuses on Rowan Campbell's Corey Cunningham, a young man who, as we see in the opening scene, accidentally kills a young boy on Halloween night and is charged with manslaughter. He becomes a social outcast, and the film charges ostracization and mental deterioration in the aftermath of that fateful night. The film sidelines Michael Myers and his Laurie Strode attempting to get on with her life, while Corey connects with her granddaughter, Allison, played by Andy Matichek. In some ways, the film seems to take inspiration from the pandemic, with the evil of Myers and the town acting as a kind of infectious energy, consuming Corey and transforming him into a monster over the course of the film. Halloween Ends attempts to turn the spotlight away from Michael Myers and show that the hate and fear that he inspires is as damaging to the world as his own psychopathic violence. In Halloween Ends, evil, it seems, is an infectious disease. Laurie Strode even says as much in her closing narration. It's a bold statement, but is it a successful one? Fans of the series have panned Halloween Ends, with many claiming it's one of the worst of the many sequels. But what do you guys think? Is it a successful conclusion, an epic misfire, or simply another strange sequel in a horror series known for strange sequels? Anton, you're relatively new to the series, so what did you think of Halloween Ends and Green's films in general? I'm someone with no particularly strong affection for the series. In fact, I've only seen the original Halloween, and I've only come to like it recently. So given that, um, I enjoyed Green's trilogy. I, like, I watched them all for, for this podcast. I think he's trying to do something interesting, at least, with the slasher genre. And for me, that's, uh, that's worth something, because I think uh, a lot of slasher films are pretty boring and formulaic. So I just... The fact that he's trying to do something strange with them, especially in perhaps this last one, but also kills. Uh, I, I like so it. So do you like all three of them? I do. I like all three. I think the first is an excellent legacy sequel or requel or reboot. A diegetic reboot, Anton. A diegetic reboot, but not a, not a <laughs> That's not a basically what reboot. I described it as in our uh, my review couple years yeah i mean it is trying to reboot the franchise as its own and get like you know and be like its own sort of like kickstarting but it is also a a sequel to you know the original but um like i liked kills i think it's 
strange the fact again like because i'm not hugely into slasher films the fact that it's like mostly about vigilantism and the town going crazy i kind of liked um i don't mind the sort of uh, david gordon green uh, danny mcbride humor that pops up here and there <laughs> like i chuckle at it i laugh um and then just you know there's just something a little bit like bizarro about this whole film like having this cory guy become Michael Myers. Um, so I, I, overall, I enjoyed the trilogy. What about you, Anders? I uh, actually really liked <laughs> Halloween Ends. I'm probably one of the few people who like thought it was like really good. Like I had a great time with it, watching it. I um, and I, I think the fact that it does something totally different and focusing on Corey and how he uh, is transformed through the ostracization of the town and, but also his, like his own sort of bitterness and, and anger. I loved the sort of like weird, like visuals. I liked the, some of the sort of more atmospheric moments in the film, uh, but, and also some of the strange humor. Like it's, it's kind of a funny movie at, in a lot of times. Um, well, the whole, the, that opening sequence, which is both like, it's creepy. Mm-hmm. And then, it, and then it's like, has such a dark, punchline oh yeah like i actually love that opening but like like like, you know i like i laughed because it was like oh my goodness they just killed this kid like yeah in the first couple minutes also one of the rules of michael myers doesn't kill kids that's actually like one of the things that he doesn't do okay yeah because like i reminds me of one of my as i said to anton one of my favorite bits in the 2018 halloween uh, is when, you know, Michael Myers is killing the <laughs> the babysitter and the that one little boy, he, like, hops through his bed. He's like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the little guy. Because yeah. he's not going to get killed, but it's he's, just like... He, have you noticed the shot of him in this one, walking when they're, like, getting rid of yeah. Michael at the end? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The idea that the whole town has to, like, purge themselves of him literally by, like, through grinding a into a pulp. <laughs> oh, man. That's <laughs> through, like, like, almost a so purge. Nasty. Like, it, yeah. it is so nasty. Um, so this is Aaron? interesting. Yeah, we might be do the I, only. Do you like them? I I really like the 2018 film. I th- I stand by that. I think it's extremely scary. Like re- I rewatched it a couple Halloweens ago because my wife had never seen it, and I stand by that. Like it it returns the kind of terror of Michael Myers. Like mm-hmm. the whole scene in the backyard with the automatic light, I find very scary. <laughs> and there's scene that some of the scenes of just him. Like, I watch a lot of slasher movies, and I've come to appreciate them more. The ones I like the most are the kind of strangely inventive ones, or the ones that work on your preternatural fears. Like, I really love some of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Like, Nightmare on Elm Street's probably my favorite slasher, if we're going by, like, pure slashers. Like, you know, if I'm not talking about Psycho, <laughs> or P.P. Yeah. Tom, or something, okay. right? Yeah. Um, or Actually, well, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but again, that's also a hillbilly horror movie, so it's a different thing, too. But... So Nightmare on Elm Street is like probably my favorite because it's it's the idea of like working on that in middle space, right? The dreams and it's it's the what scares you doesn't really make sense, but the fact that it doesn't really make sense it makes it scarier. And I thought the 2018 movie kind of did that well with Michael, where he's not supernatural, he doesn't need to be, but he is the boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And it's the idea that he's he is that thing that unknowable. Um, I like that it strips out the psychology in that film. Like it doesn't matter what what drives Michael, all that matters is that he wants to kill. So he's almost like an animal at that sense. Yeah. The, and like, then the second and third one kind of add more of the psychology back in, right? So I I don't I don't love kills. I don't hate it. I think kills is like. I, I like it on a on a like pure formal level. I think it's kind of brutally entertaining how just the opening scene where he kills like fifteen firemen or something. Yeah, eleven. <laughs> but, yeah. Whatever. He, but he's got like the he's got that buzz saw and he just goes through the guy and you're like, oh man, this is like so much more violent already than any other like the first film or the the green film. But I didn't I didn't love it as a story because I didn't like that like Laurie. And the deputy Hawkins are kind of sidelined so much because I, it you don't really get a story there aside from Anthony Michael Hall's character. Oh, but I thought he was actually one of the better parts of the film. In some he ways. is the idea of what it, again it's exploring what can like this fear do to a person. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah, which is one of the big themes of this trilogy. But while we're sort of while, while we're on the topic of kind of just like ranking and comparing them before we get into other analysis, um, one thing I will say though is that I think that the first of this trilogy. So Halloween 2018 is is so good and probably would be even better if they didn't make these other two. <laughs> Agreed. Like cuz I actually with, think you don't know if he's dead or not at the end. <laughs> but also the like it because it has such a great like um 
again, sort of like these punchlines, has such a great twist punchline at the end where it's like, no, like, this is a trap. Like, this mm-hmm. isn't a prison. Okay, it's not a cage, baby. It's a trap. And then they're like, oh, they're like, you know, oh, so like, Lori has caught him and they just torched him. And then there's like, and then it ends with the, you know, the music, dun, 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 you know, like it just jumps into it. That would just been really cool if someone had just done that. Uh, but you know, so what I, what my, my thing is just that like, I like, I like this trilogy, but it, it, it itself is already falling prey to the, all the problems of these like slasher mm-hmm. sequels. For sure. it, it, it starts to keep churning them out. It has to like, find ways to keep the story going so oh michael didn't actually die down here in this fire <laughs> you know because the firemen showed up to get him like so yeah. it's starting to do all this stuff the slasher movies are always doing so the night didn't th- end it's still stuff. going the <laughs> other thing that i like about the 2018 film is that there's it does the thing that a lot of these um what would you want to call them diegetic reboots or these sort of sequels that kind of go they both go back and revisit the the original uh, film and sort of they're they're obviously set later on, but they are uh, sort of exploring the same things like Jurassic World or The Force Awakens. Is that you also get this uh, sort of indictment of like the fandom, yep. right? Yeah. With the uh, the podcasters who are basically responsible for the true crime, uh, their love of Michael is what actually ends up in uh, leading to him coming back, right? So it's they like, awaken it. It him. almost also like almost does like a I don't know. That's sort of like Michael Haneke like indicting the audience for their yes, own uh, absolutely. like bloodlust in a way. But this is an interesting thing about um these three green films is that because so Aaron picked up on, you know, like they're questioning what what is evil and, you know, as Aaron mentioned this whole idea of sort of evil is like something infectious that can spread to other people and how Michael's infecting the community. But then the other thing that they're obsessed with is fear also something that spreads also something within you that you have to deal with and i think like the way the way it uses fear thematically is interesting because right we watching a a scary movie what are we feeling we're often feeling fear so it's like our fear that is generated through watching this film is actually the kind of like electricity that propels this killer to like exist like, cause he, like Michael Myers, both like kind of like they mentioned, he sort of lives off the fear. So it's actually the the, and this ties into the fact that I also think Green, what what he's doing is also he brings in kind of like references to other horror works, mm-hmm. and whether you like it or not, in Halloween Ends, right, it's a little bit it. Not only is Michael Myers like live in this hole, yeah, yeah, you know, in kind of in the in the sewers, and he lures you in, but again, uh, in it, um, feeds feeds on fear. I think that's probably so what there's I like something with this about Halloween Ends is that. I know that it's maybe the least like slasherish of some of the films in some way, and it introduces this whole new like mythology with, and Corey being the central character. But I actually I just f- found his story really compelling, like what happens to him, and then when he encounters Michael in that like pit under the uh, yeah. and, and is and then is drawn to kill again, right? Like it it be it's very disturbing, but it has this very Stephen King kind of feel to it, which yes, I like. Very Stephen King, so, and he has to. F- take the mask from him in that yeah. like, little fight that they have oh yeah like i actually so i also just thought like halloween ends was quite well shot you know there's a lot of cool scenes um i think like the repeated like views up the up the staircase in the house where he when he kills the yep. kid and then going back um shots like just even shots of like at night riding on a motorcycle and the highway and yeah. it's, like being drawn to darkness almost as lynchy and like lost highway kind of like especially with him and how um allison uh like become this like dark couple there's almost a bit of a i don't know like you know how people say like uh, a raylo star wars Force <laughs> and, you know kind of like bringing the you know this this guy who's sort of the the offspring of michael myers if you want to in a way with laurie's grand uh you know granddaughter kind of coming together there there is this kind of like the, the two of them together who who are rejecting the uh, the the fear and the petty anger and nastiness of Haddonfield, um, but in very different ways, right? Yes. So they're doing the, um, right, they're exploring their dark side. And so they're actually doing something that like a lot of superhero movies have to do in like some of them where it's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's not as 
corny, but like it's like Spider Man three, like you mm-hmm. know, like a uh, bad Peter Parker. Yeah, and, I love bad Peter Parker. <laughs> but you know, like it's starting to do that where like he because all of a sudden he doesn't have glasses. Corey doesn't have to have glasses right anymore. He's starting to have like new powers, almost like superpowers, and he's like you know he's looking himself in the mirror. I w- I was definitely thinking of scenes in Raimi's Spider Man where he's like has his spider superpowers and he's checking things out. Um, it's kind of comic book. Yeah. He has awesome. Yeah, like, yeah, it's Michael comic book. Right, Aaron. It's like an origin story. Comic yeah, yeah, book it's origin, origin story. Origin of a killer. That's Halloween ends is essentially like, you know, these movies deny us a psychological reading of Michael Myers, but Halloween ends gives us a psychological reading of how you could create somebody like him to do, yeah. or somebody who's capable of doing the things like him. And you know, I don't want to make our conversation kind of just a reaction to people online but i do think it's very telling that the same people who constantly talk about um trauma as a like motivating factor and so many evils in the real world seem to be really turned off by this movie which seems to show a a genuinely victimized young man driven insane by the fact that he cannot escape the shadow of an accident (laughs) yeah and like it is like fate has pushed him down a a lane and it just the the fact that people never give him a chance is the thing that dooms him (laughs) interesting to compare this to um rob zombie's halloween the the film yeah because in that he does attempt to provide a sort of psychological background to Michael Myers as this product of like just child abuse and nastiness okay. and, and mm. things like that. And yet I had never found myself, I found myself like then still like repulsed by like what I'm like trying to understand is, is a uh, zombie trying to like justify Michael, like Michael Myers and his Michael Myers is obviously way more brutal than Carpenter's in the first film or even the, you know, the couple sequels, but here I was at the same time as I was like, you get this weird like thrill and rush when Corey is like getting back at some of his enemies. Like yeah. I thought the the scene in the like um, junkyard that his like dad uh, or stepdad runs was really well done. It had some great like shock moments and some like it builds in a sort of a good slasher film should be like a good action film. Not the way Halloween Kills almost becomes like a fun <laughs> action film, but in like creating almost like Rube Goldberg-esque kind of yeah. like moments, right? And this yeah. film, Halloween Ends for me, had some of those. So you have that scene in the junkyard where it like it builds what he's going to do to get those teens, right? And then uh, even when he like tries to help like Allie with the um, the doctor and the the woman who you know the nurse got the nurse who got the the job promotion because she's sleeping with the doctor, like that that was a creepy scene too that was well done. Do you, so what I also find interesting because you're talking about like how this film portrays the um, the origin of like a killer on some level. Um, but what I find interesting about Green is that he ac- he actually sort of um, he actually has a nuanced view of evil. And going into this sort of like uh, Laurie's monologue or or you know voiceover narration at one point, she's talking. I think this is an expert an excerpt from the novel or sorry the book she's working on. Mm-hmm. But she's talking about how evil can be both, um, it's sort of the the external force that is threatening the community, or there's the internal evil, which is sort of, um, you know, like disinfection, something within you, lurking within you, like a poison. Um, I don't exactly remember the, you know, the analogy she uses. But what I find interesting is we take the character of Corey, and it combines that. Because mm-hmm. what, what Green is saying is that here are conditions or factors which could create someone um who is is he's experiencing that trauma and he's also being victimized by people around him not allowed to have any outlet um so there's all these conditions that sort of like allow it to fester his resentment his anger at other people but then at the same time it also explores the fact that Corey at certain times makes the the choice to continue sort of doing it so mm-hmm. it's not just like he's purely a product of his conditions yet you need the conditions he has agency he has agency but he all the conditions are um important too and yeah. it's that balance which and i thought but was actually so really it's smart. like i th- this is what i like about the movie is and what i alluded to why the relationship with allison which i think a lot of people must hate i haven't actually dug into any of the the sort of fandom but like the conditions for creating the killer and 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 not providing Corey any kind of like solace or forgiveness for this horrible accident uh you know exists except for allison who is mm-hmm. willing to extend it and he does accept it at first but then he 
can't actually believe it at that at the at, at the Halloween party, right? And then he that's what leads then to his whole. So he he's given the one opportunity to to escape from that path, but then he he turns to Michael Myers instead of Allison. But it also goes further than that because it's he is given an opportunity of some kind of chance of normalcy or or a a new start with Allie, but he becomes greedy of it. It's mm-hmm. it's like you can have only me or your grandmother. Yeah. The life it's yeah. like he so he becomes possessive mm-hmm. in he finally gets a a, a taste of like comfort and he relationship wants it all. or community other yeah. Uh, yeah and he wants to dominate it now because he, it's, he's so jealous of it because it's the only crack that he has. So like the the thing that I find really interesting about this movie is the way that I think it uniquely speaks to our time, mm. both in its sense of evil and in its sense of the fears that dominate us. So a lot of was made, especially after Halloween Kills got bad reviews of people being like, well, folks, let's buckle up because the next one apparently is commenting on COVID. And I was like, oh, is it going to like be set during COVID or is that going to be a thing like in the story? I was kind of confused. And then watching this movie, I, it didn't really click with me initially. And then as the kind of infectious metaphor started playing out, it did become clear that it's like Green and and McBride and his writers, they are commenting on the way that it's been demonstrated time and time again about how quickly communities dissolve, how mm-hmm. quickly the person on the other side becomes somebody you're not just resentful of, but you want to see dead <laughs> in a way. Like, you know, it, it's the idea of yeah. fear... As we've seen demonstrated in our society, fear so quickly turns to hatred and then also, you know, a violent intent, if not like an actual violent action, right? And, and in the person who's the victim of that can also become... Yes, a it's a feedback too. because evil's a feedback loop, right? And so this is why I think these movies are quite interesting and why I think they might speak to us a bit more than some other people is that I think they take evil seriously on a level of like metaphysical sin and in how that operates within almost like a theological sense in that sin is not just the thing within you that you do as a bad thing, but it's also the thing that breaks down the relationships between people and infects the good things and drives you more easily to the bad things. Right. Yeah. And even if someone, a listener isn't like as, as you know, spiritual or religiously minded as us, I think that we take genre films Seriously, not in the sense of like a lot of people are big genre fans, but we allow for genre films to have something to say about things beyond their own uh, sort of tropes and, uh, you know, yeah. So this pleasures. movie isn't so, just commentary on uh, slasher films, right? Exactly. It's actually commenting about evil. It's not in just, a, it's not a meta film per nope. se, it's actually just a horror film like any great horror film that taps into some sort of real emotions and real possibilities of, of evil. And so, sorry, just, and so why the one, I just have to jump in because the one thing that I want to clarify, like people, if they've read our, our roundtable a few, like a few weeks ago about what scares you, the debating the horror genre, and, you know, anybody who's read me over the years, they know that I have a pet peeve with movies that boil down the evil to some kind of social evil. And so they, they might be like, Aaron, why, why, why does Halloween ends work for you? On a level beyond that. It's like, well, it's because Corey is not just a metaphor. He's actually also a character. And he's given a lot of development. And the, the other thing I really like about this movie is maybe not a thing that makes it a horror movie, a successful horror movie, is that it really reminds me of a David Gordon Green drama. Absolutely. Like, he gets into this kind of... there's David Gordon Green has this almost gothic vision of American life at the margins and there's something romantic to it but also something dangerous to it mm-hmm. and it's these people kind of teetering on the edge of society right and they can go either way and there can be something beautiful to the danger there but there's also something inherently violent to the danger there and this is something that if anyone hasn't seen David Gordon Green's first film George Washington it touches on this there's some like sort of like echoes of that imagery in an imagery in this one including the do you so want to give i don't do want to spoil discuss- that movie for anyone okay. but spoil um, it? Okay. i think if, if if people haven't seen george washington you should go back and check Aaron, it out it's why like, don't you elaborate from like one of one of his films then like so a movie joe with nicholas cage in 2013 and it's nicholas cage and he's kind of this rough guy living on the edge 
and the whole th- and he he takes a young man under his wing who has a bad father and he kind of decides I'm going to save this man and through or through save this boy played by Ty Sheridan and through saving him save myself and that's the tension in the movie is that Joe is a man driven to violent impulses yeah can he learn to to withstand that and so the the tension in the film and the growth is like Joe becomes a kind of father to Ty Sheridan's character but also in needing to free Ty Sheridan from his abusive father, he might have to act on the violence that is the very root of the thing that keeps him away from yep. connecting with people, right? That's the tension. And there's a lot of romance to the fact it's that like Nick Cage... <laughs> it's, it's, I know, Ty Sheridan, you gotta <laughs> save him always. Um, in Joe, there's a lot of romance to the fact that Nick Cage calls his own shot in the sense that he, because he lives on the edge of society, because he's a man apart he doesn't have to follow the same rules as everybody else and there's a freedom there right because david Gore green's a very american filmmaker so it's that idea of self-determination freedom volition things like that and and so comparing that to like halloween ends Corey's um placement as an outsider allows him the freedom to reinvent himself in ways it allows him the ability to you know if he wants to remake himself with Allison, it allows him to tap into emotions that he might have buried when he was the straight A kid. And it'll there's there's kind of the you you mentioned those shots, Anders, of like them riding the motorbikes, right? Like that those shots capture that kind of uniquely American romance of what is the open road, what is the idea of the place with no horizon, and and the possibility of a ride at night specifically, right? Mm-hmm. Because in American yep. cinema and in American culture, the idea of driving around at night has this 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 yeah. almost romantic no, freedom and danger because right? you could kill yourself. Well, yeah. and they're not wearing helmets. Like, yep. but the whole I thing always, about that is me crazy. But. but the thing about that, right? Like, because essentially, the American uh, one of the American views of that freedom is right. Like, it'll always inherently increase the possible chances of danger yep. or something yeah. bad happening. But like, that's worth it. That's that's he's he's exploring themes like that the way he the way he's into the nature of violence. There's like, you know, this is someone who clearly like understands aspects of the Western genre, Mm -hmm. um, the way towns tribalize. I mean, we're talking about covid, the way you, you know, you you break down into different forms and, you know, someone becomes the external threat or evil to your community where you where you divide the lines on those communities forms that and you have to purge yourself of their evil lest it infect you right like <laughs> and andy he has the uh, he has the radio dj yes i was just amp- gonna mention amping that. up everyone yep. the whole time yep. so green <laughs> also wild like, stories <laughs> green is uh you know, very good at like tying his films, whether they're goofy stoner comedies like Pineapple Express or like the horror films like this, into the that like those like American myths and and sort of classic sort of characters and things. Violence is often even in you know Pineapple Express, it explodes in pretty brutal violence in the end. Um, this red, you're alive, red. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, Danny McBride's so good in that. Um, the, but this film, like it, like that. So they have the night driving and then the radio DJ. It's almost like even harkening back to like American Graffiti. And oh, like totally, Wolfman totally. Jack and like, totally. You know, this this voice that like sort of ties the community together and stuff like that. But even the casting of Corey, like Rowan Campbell kind of looks like a Ron Howard type. Yeah. But, you know, I, I was really, I just want to say I was really impressed with his performance. I had never seen him in anything. I looked, he's mostly just on TV and stuff. I thought he was really good. Yeah. And he doesn't push it to like... His his character could easily be performed at like basically it could have veered into either camp or or mm-hmm. a huge like scene chewing like mm-hmm. but he actually uh, he doesn't do that. No. Hi, you've reached the Corey hotline. Four ninety five a minute. Here are some words that rhyme with Corey: glory, story, allegory, Montessori. Man, you guys are starting to make me like this movie even more than I thought. No, I know. See, this is the thing, but it's a weird movie because when you're doing the so-called final statement on the most iconic slash oh, yeah. franchise, it's a very strange route because Michael Myers doesn't show up for an hour and the movie's not even a horror movie for an hour. It's literally this like 
yeah, drama on rom- romantic drama about the people on the margins. I was like, you know, watching it. I was like, it's like, oh, are they, are they making this movie about like, is this kid gonna turn into like Michael, Michael. Myers? <laughs> and they did. Yeah. But so when they start bringing Michael Myers in and they're using him as almost like a totemic figure, right, here, yep. which draws back into how some of the other sequels do with him, those in more of a literal sense in that he's literally a, like, druidic totem of evil that, like, you suck all this evil into in the community and he purges it and so forth. I think Michael is under the influence of an evil rune. Thorn. I saw the symbol marked up. Where we found Jamie stabbed. Well, there are runes of light, protection. If Thor could somehow be trapped by these runes, the energies could cancel themselves out. The evil could be destroyed. But here, you know, it's it's more operating on the metaphorical level and that Im- that level of like iconography. Mm-hmm. But the Lori stuff is also interesting because Lori kind of lurks in the background and she encourages this romance. Right, because it's a possibility of a a, yes, it's a possibility of of Allison to express herself, and it's a fresh start for Corey. And as as a person who's been an outsider for the entirety of her life, she has a natural sympathy. But she also sees beneath the surface and sees the anger and the violence Mm -hmm. inherent because she has it in herself. Exactly, going back to the 2018 film, and they what the film really does, which is something that is very often not commented on in our society is that fine line between how both victims and perpetrators can be uh, ostracized. Like, I think it's something that we're starting to understand, but, like, the people who are victims of violence are often then stigmatized by There's the scene where she walks out of the uh, grocery store in Halloween Ends, and someone's like, it's you. It was your fault. Yeah. Like, like, to Lori, like, saying that she caused it. So there's definitely times where it's, like, essentially, she's also excluded from the community. And if she's not, like, sort of the... evil external but by being an outsider that also links her with michael and like i mean that's ways that green's you know very interested in is you know the link between laurie and uh and michael but while jenna's seen some of the stupider stuff from the other sequels that well, has okay is, is laurie this a time michael's to, uh, uh i don't yeah, know like little sister so oh okay that yeah so that's in halloween too Anton. so you haven't seen any of the sequels right anton no okay i've only i've only seen the first halloween so should we do a like a lightning round as as lex g would coin sure sure <laughs> let's do it i i've only i haven't seen everything i'm not a completist but okay so there's halloween 2 1981 not directed by carpenter but it takes it's the second half of the night it's literally starts with the final shot of the original halloween it's laurie goes to the hospital michael tries to kill her um, Loomis is going around, oh, we have to stop Michael, he's still on the loose. And don't you know, she's actually his sister. Yeah. <laughs> so it I brings love, that. I, I do actually kind of like that movie. Um, I like Donald Pleasance. I also love the, uh, like, he's got some great kills in the hospital. Oh, the boiling water <laughs> the boiling kill is water. so horrifying. So it's she's just, his sister. Okay. Yes. And it's the idea, it's a pre, so it's, I, I don't know what the terminology would be in, like, Greek sense, but it's like a psychosexual obsession with the sister. Hmm. <laughs> And it yeah. comes up again and again. So then you get Halloween 3, Season the Witch, the only anthology version of the entire franchise, which where Carpenter's like, we should make this a high anthology series where you have like weird stories set at Halloween and it's all about Stonehenge and like these kids masks <laughs> that are going to make kids turn into like worms. And the most Halloween. annoying jingle of all time. Oh, so good. Happy, happy Halloween. Happy, happy Halloween. for the horathon and remember the big giveaway at nine don't miss it and don't forget to wear your masks the clock is ticking it's almost time i actually again i I reviewed that for the website uh it is also kind of a proto uh they live in some ways Mm -hmm. and it's expressing the way that commercial like society like has this underlying lurking evil and yeah well also riffing on romero in that sense too yeah um and then you get Halloween for Return of Michael Myers, which is essentially a diegetic reboot where now we have um, Laurie's cousin or something. I forget the character's name, but it's it repeats the whole like there's a little girl being babysat. Michael Myers comes back. Laurie's like killed off screen in those <laughs> movies. What? And then it's the whole thing. Michael like inv- 
terrorizes this little girl. Loomis is involved again. It kind of repeats, but it's at a lower budget. It's very similar to actually Psycho 2, where it repeats, but then extends the, um, like, prurate nature of the kills or the, like, sexual stuff further than the original did. Um, and then you get the fifth one, which is the Curse of Michael. It's Revenge. Curse is number six. Revenge Revenge is really bad. It, it's a retur- um, continuation of Return of Michael Myers. It follows the little girl from that one, who at the end kind of is placed into the position of Michael Myers. And so it's exploring the blood um, relationship between the two of them. But the big issue there is that most of the film is literally just Loomis saying meaningless stuff and the little girl crying. She's like rendered nonverbal within a mental hospital. And so the vast majority of the film is literally just her wailing and wailing and acting baffled by everything that's happening while a even lower rent Michael Myers kills a bunch of people. And then you go to six and six is the one with Paul Rudd. <laughs> As the same character Tommy. who's in Halloween Kills yeah, played by Michael Hall. the little boy who is who is being babysat. Um, babysat. And the whole oh. thing with Curse of Michael Myers is that it uh, it unveils the druidic power of Michael Myers and that he is this channel for the evil in the community. And it's it's very goofy and there's underground labs and like the government is somehow involved with keeping Michael Myers going because it's like a cleanse. <laughs> oh, crazy. <laughs> very silly. Um, that one kind of effectively killed the franchise. And then you get H20. H2O. <laughs> yeah, H2O. I kind of like years later, which is a screamish style where Very it is much. a meta. It's a meta slasher. Oh yeah, with like Josh Hartnett and a bunch of other like young hunks in like the nineties. Yeah. She he plays the son of Laurie. It brings yep. Laurie back. It's like I thought Laurie died. It's like but no, it no, no, no. That was the just three, a, the exactly. Four, five, and six. Yeah, three's not really part of the continuity. Of the others and also fun. It has Janet Lee in it. Yeah, it and it has. Um, I think Joseph Gordon-Levitt's in the opening yep. scene getting yes. killed yep. by hockey. Yeah, what year is that one? Ninety-eight. Oh, okay. so twenty years after. So it has a very it, Aaron's right. It's, it's very scream like, and it's, it's probably one, probably one of my top three or four of the series. <laughs> I like it. It's fun. It's quite fun, and it's it's slickly shot and stuff. Yeah. It's not super scary though. <laughs> no, um, but it's enjoyable. And then Resurrection was this is the few years Oof. later, and it, again it kills off Laurie again in the opening scene in this really bad scene. And it has, it's like, oh, we're going to lock people in a haunted house for a reality show. Oh, no, Michael's in the house. <laughs> <laughs> is it direct, it's directed by Rick Rosenthal, who did number two, though, right? I know. It is. <laughs> which is really disappointing. Um, then and then, get the zombie, then you Rob get the Rob Zombie, zombie remakes, which are like straight up remakes of one and two. The whole thing with Rob Zombie's first one is that the first half of the movie is Michael's a child, and then it catches up to where one starts. So it deeply psychologizes. Yeah. Yes. To a point where I actually find it, like, distasteful. Yeah, I, it, it, I only saw the first one, and I did not like it. Yeah. And then the second one is, again, like, a pure remake of number two, but go extends it where it's it follows Michael at, at the end of the night, and then it continues on. And it just it becomes this almost, um, like, dark opera of Michael Myers. It's very operatic and very, like, trying to be true tragedy with Taylor... Taylor Maine plays, like... Michael Myers in it, <laughs> like the guy who was Sabretooth in the X-Men Yeah, he's a wrestler, movie. right? Uh-huh. Yeah, and so he's like a bad actor, but he's just this giant hawking monster, and it's lots of him walking around with like a blood so he, his his mask is also made of like skin or something in it. It's 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 very. <laughs> Some people really like this movie, and they claim it's like one of the great horror films. I don't really like it, but I also think it's really interesting. It's it's my favorite zombie film I've seen, um, but it's still it's not saying much because I, I hate some of his films. Okay, um, so... And that brings us to the... Gordon and then this brings screen. us to Green. Yes. Um, and so you had roughly a decade between the Z- Rob Zombie and... Yeah, it was, because uh, 2009 was the second Rob Zombie. Um, so here's my question then. Um, and then maybe we can get into... So what, in your view, having seen a lot of these... I know like I know there's different versions and different takes on um, Michael Myers in these. But like, what do you think... What is Michael Myers? And how are we to understand him? And then is... David Gordon Green doing something different or is he like distilling things that are in these other ones? Like is Michael Myers, like, is he a boogeyman? Is he evil? He is he pure manifest evil? Well, is he a, a child Dr. who's Loomis like been psychological? repeatedly tells us pure evil. He's pure evil. Um, well, but Loomis also kind of comes across as like a bit insane himself. <laughs> but like the dude literally locked, locked up a like, what, eight-year-old, 10-year-old boy killing his sister for like 20 years and like that might like mess him up i met him 15 years ago i I was told there was nothing left no reason no uh, conscience no understanding and even the most rudimentary sense of life or death of 
good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. I kind of do buy the the whole thing. He was, he's sort of like the boogeyman. There's something like very primal and atavistic about Michael Myers. Yeah. Uh, I still love the original film the best. I think it it works so well. It's it's actually pretty subtle in a lot of ways, weirdly. Um, and it's just, it's about all the things that creep you out at night, the possibility of something, uh, you know, the bad things that have happened in your community that come back to like haunt and, uh, you know, the fear of the shape. He's not even called Michael Myers, right? He's like the shape is what he's credited as that, uh, that will come and kill the babysitters, right? So why does Michael kill his sister in that movie, do you think? Like, well, should the, we in not the original have film, she's not his sister, right? Like, it's just no in that, the opening scene when he. Kills oh, in the his opening scene, yeah, I think it like, is. There, why does I think the there is a dis- I think though. So what I was gonna say is, I also think that there, in, in saying if you want to say atavistic, it's like this primal thing. It's also this connects to like the confusion and misunderstanding that young kids can have around sex mm. and sexuality and like misdirecting that in different ways. So it's about that sort of Freudian link between like sex and death. Yes. Uh, so that's partly why I like it. It's a very Freudian film um, in a lot of ways. Uh, it links those things. And um, so, yeah, the shape is just, you know, born out of our confusion and fear. And it is evil. Like, I don't know if it's like, pure evil in the way Loomis phrases it, but it's definitely, like, evil, and it's definitely uh, about disordered and messed up understandings and things like that. And I think Green and and McBride and and the crew who make the new films, they do get that. My biggest complaint with Halloween Kills is that they over-literalize, like, number of times characters are like, he's the boogeyman, he was all, like, they spell out everything. Evil ends tonight. Evil dies tonight. (laughs) So, Aaron, what do you think? Like, do you think, um, like, how do we understand why Michael kills his sister in the original? And then is, like, Green picking up on stuff in that? Is he doing anything different? So, kind of going back to my comment I made about about slashers and horror movies in general that I, I really like, which is that I think they tap into these kind of unconscious fears or things that don't, they make sense on like an emotional level, but they don't necessarily have like a literal one-to-one. And I think Michael Myers in the original is really pr- preying on, he you know, he's, he's that totemic figure that represents fear right like a true unknown fear whether it's a fear of you know adulthood a fear of sexuality a fear of the thing that can come in the night a fear of the dark a fear of being alone a fear of the idea of just death that is always coming for you it michael in the original i think it's important to have the kid thing at the beginning to have this idea of like he is going home michael comes home right yeah. and so michael is going back to the source which is the home in Haddonfield, which Laurie lives in, which like it's it's this idea of we are returning to the primal impulses. Right. Yeah. And Mike, it doesn't actually matter what Michael is as a character. That's why it's important. He has a mask. It's why it's important. He doesn't show any emotion. He doesn't run. He doesn't pant, really. Like he doesn't really get angry. He just goes forward and kills. And I think that's super important because then you just like you don't it doesn't matter what's under that mask because it's whatever terrifies you and is coming for you in the night. But I also think it's interesting in the first film that that opening scene, the other notable it's thing, us. it's all point of view of us. Yeah, right? it's us killing the girl. Mm, yeah, yeah. Which is the person who watches horror movies is driven by these same things in a way and also scared of these same things. So it's almost a mirroring at us. And Green's films draw that out a little more, I think, where they they make Michael truly a mirror of the like dark impulses inside ourselves. The first, the first of the green films, I think, is playing a lot with him. The idea of like he is just the dark, right? Like he is the boogeyman. He is the the idea of like the the, the fact that it there's 40 years between the original one and the green one in the story world as well. But there's an inevitability of the fact that Michael will come back because death always comes for you, because the dark, you know, the sun always sets, because you're going to be alone always. Like, it's it's the inevitability of something that scares you coming back at you, while kills and ends, I think, extend that out to more specific places. So do you guys think that, um, like, you've, you've both said that you think that green is, like, getting rid of any sort of, um, like, I don't know whether you want to call it ma- magic or supernatural aspect to Michael Myers. But do you think, like, in ends that, like, 
how like how do we understand um michael in like that sewer or the tunnels and he's been there for now for like five years or four years right yeah. four years um yeah like, um you know like to me like I, there's something in part because i couldn't think, help but see it yeah. as being kind of like this uh is he asleep and you know he no, wakes up kind of thing i don't almost? think that um they completely strip away anything like supernatural but i do think they get rid of like the sort of like silly like myth like they don't want any they, they don't they want they any mythology that you could no. uncover to explain exactly there's no there might be insinuations it's still supernatural but the whole point is that there's no explanation i think yes. the lack of explanation is yes. really important for why they basically have to ma- <laughs> crush his body into absolute pulp <laughs> in order to stop him just like, like a halloween the part pumpkin when they're they just have to do like a you know a surgery to kill someone in this one where they like have him down on the table and stuff like yeah. it's I mean this movie like I mean it's I, pretty brutal yeah they're trying no, to cut out the wound of the community right That's some, some like of the scenes are pretty brutal for sure and the, we get a moment where it's like yeah the one like someone's basically eyes are being popped out but like you know like you don't usually just sort of see that like full on where like a face is cr- crushed or Michael's hand being like sliced in half. Yeah, the whole the actually. So before we kind of close the conversation, I do want to talk about this as a conclusion. Mm-hmm. So like, is it satisfying as a conclusion as the final showdown between Laurie and Michael? Because it does delay Michael so much and it really just has the one fight between yeah. them. Yeah. So like, what do you guys I, think? I can see why someone who just wanted that and like might be disappointed, but I think it does enough other interesting things to make it satisfactory. And there's enough nice little callbacks to the the original. Like the fact that when Corey's babysitting the boy at the beginning, one, they mentioned, well, he doesn't kill kids. He, Michael Myers only kills the babysitters. And two, they're watching the John Carpenter thing instead of the original yeah. thing. Like that, uh, oh, are watching they the watching, they're watching the old... Uh, yeah, thing from the, another 1978 world. 1978 Halloween, Laurie and the kid are watching the, the Howard Hawks thing. And then... Um, which was sort of a call forward to what Carpenter yeah, would do. Yeah. And then also the fact that the song at the end of the movie is like Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, which is what Laurie and her friend are listening to when they're driving around in the car in the original film. So there's callbacks. It's, there's enough little Easter eggs for fans. I mean, like, come on. What more do people want? I don't know. I just, I kind of just feel like, like, I li- again, I liked it. Um, I sort of like these as a trilogy. Mm-hmm. But as the conclusion to, you know, if they're trying to say that this is like the end of the franchise, I mean, I'm obviously <laughs> doubtful more. that they'll, all, they'll make more. But I think... Uh, I think just Halloween 2018 would have been more satisfying as like a conclusion to the actual series. But. I'd like the Laurie Strode story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I just feel like uh, Laurie Strode's not like huge in this. The final fight is probably better when it was like the build up to her like crazy house she's built. How, her home alone. Uh, yeah. House. I, th- I think I might prefer like the scene where she kills or her he, she fights Corey. like i really like the whole thing of you know it's a misdirection where mm-hmm. you think she's gonna shoot herself it's like you wouldn't actually think i'd commit suicide and like shoots him <laughs> when she's got the pumpkin you're mm-hmm. like why does she have yeah. a pumpkin sitting there like why is that, that, that the safe i yeah. liked how they i like the pumpkin scenes in these three movies and the uh the pumpkin scene in ends was very intriguing like the pumpkins within pumpkins. Oh, the, oh, the, the opening edits. credits. Yeah. The, sorry, sorry. The the opening credits scenes with the pumpkins. Because that's right? what so the, the first one. Like. The first one has the pumpkin right rising from. Like I love that. I thought that yeah. was great. And, ha- and then the second one has. Um, on, is it on fire or? On f- tons of pumpkins, like one pumpkin, then many pumpkins, and then on fire, and then. Uh, in Halloween ends, we get um, pumpkins within it. pumpkins, and at the very end, it sort of zooms in on a pumpkin from the backside, like as if to sort of get inside, and you just sort of see the mush there. And then the movie visually references that, like throughout, like people are carving pumpkins and holding it, and then the fact that her misdirection at the end, when she shoots the pumpkin, not her own head, is very like th- that to me is why, like I mean, I think this is just also a good example of like that Green's, like, a talented filmmaker, like, mm-hmm. picks up on a visual motif like that, uses it throughout, but then it's quite evocative symbolism at the beginning of, you know, this idea that kind of there's the, uh, you know, the Halloween within you, the uh, the Michael Myers within. Is it is it possible that some of the um, unsatisfactoriness of, dissatisfaction of this film as a conclusion is the fact that Michael is a unkillable, inevitable villain? In the sense that, like, the thing that makes him 
so terrifying is the fact that you can't kill him. He just never ends. Like, he just always comes back. And so trying to think of this as, like, an actual conclusion will never make sense because the character defies sense in a way. Yeah, but this is as much the end of Michael Myers as... No Time to Die is the end of James Bond. No, of, of course, right? of course. And I can't wait for, you know, five years from now, Halloween again or something. Like no, we're we're going right? to get, get David Gordon Green and Danny McBride are going to make a, a Christine. They're going to remake that. But then Michael Myers is the, the dark spirit within the car because some of his blood got inside of the car or something. They, <laughs> he, they he tear should... him up at the garage. David Gordon Green should actually just straight up do a Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, actually, that would I be I think really he could good. do a good job. I would like to see him do Carrie. <laughs> I know we've had multiple carries, but yeah, I actually think had, his outsider. Yeah, but his outsider look at Carrie. Just imagine. Can we cast uh, what's her name from uh, Richard Jimson's as Carrie's mom? Yeah. But you have to. I mean, I guess <laughs> Carrie, Carrie would be a good choice for Green. Um, he can't do one of the ones where like um, King gets into too much sort of like his mythological worlds mm-hmm. and starts spinning out the fantasy stuff. Because that that I don't know if Green would do as well. But I think no, he wouldn't do like, a Dark Tower or even. The but even like it, right? Like yeah, it becomes too much of like a like a fantasy world like thing. So I think this might be the only podcast that you listen to where all three recommend Halloween Ends. <laughs> Roger Ebert style, thumbs up. So Halloween Ends is still currently playing in theaters. I think it's making decent money still, which is the other thing that is unsaid about these movies. They're Blumhouse productions, right? So they're lower budget. This one's like thirty million, which is pretty high budget for a Blumhouse, but it's already made like eighty five million. Also, it looks really good for that budget. It's because Green is a really good visualist, and also like first one made a ton, right? Yeah, I made one hundred and sixty million or something. Massive hit. Um, I've met David Gordon Green, so I also just personally like him. (laughs) He's a nice guy. Goodbye, Michael. So it's Halloween horror season, and as we're likely to do probably every October on this podcast, I thought we could all go around and offer a few horror movie suggestions, and maybe just talk about what we've been watching over the past few weeks. Um, Anders, let's start with you. So what horror movies have you been watching, and do you have any recommendations that listeners should watch? Uh, the main thing that I've been doing is watching all the Exorcist films, and I'll have a ranking uh, that you'll be able to find on the website just before Halloween. He hasn't been sleeping all week. Yeah. It'll probably I don't be out sleep, by the I time just, you listen to this. It will probably be up by the time you hear this. Um, and out of those, the one that I I, I think... Uh, I'd only ever seen the original Exorcist, and I hadn't watched it in a long, long time, so it's been fun to visit that, revisit that one and, and see the sequels. And Exorcist Three Legion, the William Peter Blatty film, is actually really good with George C. Scott uh, in it. I, I really liked it. I think it's a good, it's a good film. It's a it's kind of a different take on an exorcism demon movie in that it's like also kind of like a serial killer procedural cop movie. Um, and it's actually genuinely scary as well. Incidentally, who is this Damien you mentioned? Don't you know? I know nothing. Except I must go on killing daddy. I must shame him. Um, and the other one, as, as in our uh, round table, I really liked Prince of Darkness quite a bit, but you can read some of my comments there on that. And the other film that I've been like, stuck with me this Halloween was, I hadn't watched it since high school, but uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, which is barely a, a horror. Well, it's, it's truly horrifying in that it's not really uh, meant to be enjoyable <laughs> at all. It's, uh, no. almost more of a, like I said, John Cassavetes film. It reminds me of something like these portraits of like, uh, sort of working class people in despair. And it's, uh, it's very dark, but it's, it's really good film. Michael, uh, yeah, I was encouraging you to watch that again because yeah. it was on Criterion. But, uh, so Anton, yeah. you should watch that. It's only 80 minutes. Yeah, but just I be should, prepared. Should. It'll, it'll shake your soul. It's like, Michael it's Rooker's quite dark. very good. He's very good in it. And it, it almost reminded me a bit, Aaron, of like, I mentioned the, the film Wanda the, by yeah, Barbara absolutely. Loden's Wanda, which is it's a strange thing, but it's like there's not a lot of films that pay attention to these people on the margins and how the way they really live and like uh, the sort of like the, these characters are sympathetic in a, in a way. So maybe maybe Henry's also kind of a like Corey in uh, Halloween Ends kind of figure in some ways, but has given in to the, some of the darkest impulses. Um, He's also based off a real person. Oof. So it's it's his crimes. Him and Otis are actually like yeah, yeah. analogs to a real serial killer pair. That's anyway, why it's portrait of a serial yeah, killer. Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a genuinely uh, 
great film. So, Anton, what about you? I watched uh, Hocus Pocus 2. Uh, <laughs> 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 and I'm bringing this up not because I recommend it. So, my wife is a big fan of the original from like childhood. I've rewatched it, or I've watched it a number of times with her. I'd never watched it as a child. So, I come at the original Hocus Pocus completely differently than most people who say they like it. So I actually like the original Hocus Pocus. I I don't have any childhood nostalgia for it. What I see it as is kind of like almost a last gasp of these 80s, early 90s um, fantasy family movies, kind of like the Goonies uh, or maybe like Joe Dante, things like that. Um, Obviously Spielberg. And what I like about it, it has these aspects of that era where it's like you get um, teen characters, then you also get young children, and they're interacting. They all, each have their sort of separate storylines, but they're sort of connected too. It, you know, it, it's a movie that's purposely campy with Bette Midler and stuff like that. That's fine. Um, and then the old one uh, from 90, 93, 94, 95, I can't remember. Um, the witches are actually bad, even though, you know, the audience will like them and enjoy them and have fun with them. There, like it actually sets up that the they're witches from Salem and they were killed and they were bad, and of course in Hocus Pocus two now all witches have to be outsiders. So, you know they still um, want to consume children in order to give themselves immortality, but they're also misunderstood, and it's things like that that make Hocus Pocus <laughs> two uh, like so bad uh, for me. Beyond just the sort of the, you know, I'm not going to spend any more time on, it, it is just sort of like a, a Disney tween, you know, Disney Channel tween movie, but um, it's not particularly well shot or made, but it's it's the fact that it displays all this live action Disney Are all the three that actresses me. still returned to play the witches? Yes. And I will say that all three actresses, so they got them back. Um, so Sarah Jessica Parker, Bette Miller, and... I, I uh, can't remember the, the third Catherine actress. Kathleen She was in a lot of ni- early 90s. Yeah. And stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, they're definitely like kind of the highlight of the movie. Like the, this time, like you don't like the kids, the modern kids. And they also, of course, have to make the modern kids like also kind of like witches who have a little coven, which again gets in, it's sort of, uh, it wants to sort of revise the original, but at the same time, they can't make them totally bad, like the totally bad Sanderson sisters actually fully good. So it's just sort of muddled, kind of a mess. Just like my old one. <laughs> well, what about us? There's only one? Bats and beetles, find something, anything, we must fly! So, I mean, I I would just say, like, again, it was just uh, confirmation for me that I should just stop watching these these Disney remakes (laughs) and reboots. Um, In terms of other stuff, the only thing I I thought I'd mention was, like, so by the time this comes out, I'll have a piece on Nosferatu out. We we all watched it back in March, um, and I just think... I'd encourage anyone in this final few days before Halloween, try watching a silent horror movie. They actually have a great hypnotic power, especially if you watch it alone, really late at night, and just let yourself sort of get into them because it's almost it almost has the feeling of a um, of like a lucid dream. Like you start to like there's a strangeness about a silent horror film if you give yourself the the sort of the conditions and time to appreciate it that it can be it's not scary the way that, you know, modern horror movies are but it can be very very creepy and unsettling if you sort of create that space so i definitely encourage it and i'd recommend if you either nasaratu but also um faust is great um captain of dr caligari like they have such amazing sets phantom of the opera phantom of the opera yeah definitely check some of these out a lot of these german expressionism ones are amazing uh the phantom of the opera is actually the reveal when the phantom takes off his mask is actually genuinely like you like jump back. It's creepy because yeah. the makeup's so good. I love old horror movies from like even the early sound era. Like last year watching the... Uh, You've been watching a lot of the Universal ones, right? Universal films, yeah. I did last year. I watched through those on uh, Criterion Channel and then a few years ago, the, a little bit later, but like the post-war Val Luton films. I, I love all of those things there. There's just a good... They have a nice vibe to them, you know, the like kind of They have like, such good atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. Aaron, what 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 do you recommend? Um, so I went to see Pearl, 
the Ty West prequel to X, and I kind of loved it. And I have a review up on the website, but I kind of can't stress enough how interesting a movie that could have been in kind of naked franchise extension is. It's it's a total like performance tour de force for Mia Goth. The fact that it's it's quite low budget, but West tries to do a lot within that low budget and really make it like a pastiche of of early Hollywood movies. Not just with his font and color style, but also like the editing choices. The he has musical sequences and things like that, and it's it's quite ambitious for a movie. But it all kind of centers around Mia Goth being, in in a way, a you know a portrait of a psychopath, a portrait of a serial killer in her own right, and she really sucks you in to the point where it's it's quite alarming how how much you are on her side in that film, despite the like horrible things she does. Um, so I thought that was really excellent for new movies. I'm leaving soon. I can't stay here any longer. Howard was supposed to take me away. It'd be easier for me if I didn't feel like I was abandoning you. You understand that? I love you, Daddy, but this is no way to live. I've been going through the 80s horror collection on Criterion Channel and watching a lot of those. So I watched, you know, kind of semi-disposable slashers like Slumber Party Massacre, which is kind of funny because it's it's like written and directed by women, but it's so it's really playing into the lurid nature of slasher movies. I, have, and I haven't seen it, but there's film theorists or professors who made it, right, or something? Yes, exactly. Hmm. And so it's really playing into the fact that like the sla- like the slasher killer is just like a sexually frustrated male. And the killer in the movie is this guy in a jumpsuit who has a giant auger that is like supposed to be his penis kind of thing. And he's like, I'm going to drill you kind of thing. <laughs> so the most famous shot in the movie is him standing over the girl like cowering with his auger in between his legs. And it's like that's that's the kind of imagery it like plays so mm. obvious and making fun of it. Um, but it's got some good tension. It's very low budget. Um, I did watch... Uh, the Toby Hooper of Funhouse, another one of his like hillbilly horror movies, but like a weird mutant in a broken down carnival ride that's like terrorizing people. And I, I don't love that hillbilly horror <laughs> movies, but it's it is creepy. It's a movie that's so very obviously the influence for the House of a Thousand Corpses, like the Rob Zombie hmm. movie. It's clearly like the one he's trying to be. But probably the most interesting horror movie I watched of the older ones is Tetsuo the Iron Man, which mm-hmm. is this horrifying body horror cyberpunk movie by Shinya Tsukamoto, who is this like 80s Japanese underground filmmaker. And so it's about a man turning into metal and it's some of the most strange and impressive and disgusting imagery you'll ever get on a, on screen. He um, he did Sold. all the special effects himself and wow. it's, it's like, you know, so he has like a little... One day when he's shaving, he has like a little piece of metal on his cheek and when he like can't cut it and when he touches it, it like squirts blood and then it starts getting larger and then, yeah, other body parts start turning into metal and machine parts and it is tied into his sexual impulses with his girlfriend and goes places that are just insane. <laughs> like there, there are a few movies that will make your like jaw drop more than this film. And to the point where I think some people would watch it and be like, this is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. But uh, a sicko like me who's seen a lot of horror movies is like, wow, good job. You've actually done something that I find like, you know, phantasmagoric and horrific <laughs> in like very unique ways. Um, so that, that was very good. It's a, it's a good movie. It's it. I don't think you can kind of talk about 80s body horror without mentioning that mm-hmm. especially as it as it's a japanese um view on it especially when japan was kind of at the height of of its economic powers mm-hmm. the only other movies i'll mention is they're also in that 80s horror series but i did watch um the hidden have you guys heard of this movie no it's directed by jack shoulder and it's essentially a buddy cop movie but the one cop is Kyle McLaughlin right after Blue Velvet, and he is, they're hunting down a s- series of men who go on killing sprees, but they're all actually, they're all inhabited by a alien that, like, when the one man dies, it, like, passes into the next man and continues the killing spree. Hmm. And so it's like a sci-fi movie of these, and, and at, 
Kyle McLaughlin is an FBI agent who like mysteriously comes in to have to do it. So it's mm. for if you like Twin Peaks, you kind of have to check it out. <laughs> it's it's very he's very charismatic and weird in it, and it's it's just kind of one of those fun late '80s cop movies. But the the element of horror and science fiction kind of adds an extra extra interest to it. And I did just to cap it off, watch Stuart Gordon's From Beyond, his his second Lovecraft film from the '80s, also starring uh, Jeffrey Coombs. Good so it's an adaptation Coons. of H.P. Lovecraft. It was made a year after Reanimator, and it's got a lot of the same energy of the mad conflagration of sexual Im- impulses and monstrosities. <laughs> why is it's pretty funny? Why I should rewatch. The, why it. Is, I should watch that because I I, re- I viewed uh, Reanimator for our site last year, which and I really it holds up. It's a why is this one not movie. as uh, well known or seemingly? I think it's a little bit harder to get a hold of, and okay. I think the other there's always that, sort of independent. Um, DVDs and like Blu-rays of Reanimator. Yes. Right? So this is playing on Canopy. So you okay. can. It's only eighty minutes. So it's like a really easy watch. Um, I think the other thing is that so Jeffrey Coombs is playing Herbert West Reanimator in Reanimator, right? Mm-hmm. And in this one, he is the he's the main character, but he's like the sidekick of the main scientist. And I think the fact that it's not like the wacky Jeffrey Coombs role makes it a little less um, pop, like famous. Because okay. he is really wildly weird <laughs> in Reanimator. Yeah. And it has Barbara Crampton from Reanimator as well, right? Yeah. Yep. It, is, no, it based, is it based on a Lovecraft story? Yeah, it's from, based on From Beyond. Like oh, From Beyond. Story. I haven't read that one. Um, so it's essentially just a scientist stimulates the pineal gland, which allows you to like view into like another dimension. And these monsters, like if you move, it, they attack you. But the whole thing is that he does it so that he can like tap into beyond fleshly pleasures, kind of thing, <laughs> like the the scientist guy does. And so there's a lot of um, weird S and M imagery, which is it made a year, uh, a couple of years before, no, one year before Hellraiser. But it seems to actually have a lot of kind of Hellraiser influence in there so i i think it's kind of a stepping stone onto clive barker hmm. so yeah we didn't, didn't mention any of the bad movies but there are plenty of bad horror movies so like hey i mentioned a bad one hogus pocus well, yeah you don't watch it. Two. it's a waste but yeah i watch stick to the good ones you know stuff like <laughs> exorcist 2 which i'm sorry people who want to say it's a hidden gem it's it's not it's terrible <laughs> and uh the keep which is definitely michael mann's worst movie but at least it's Got some. The first half is actually pretty good. Mostly for purists, though. A truly bewildering movie. <laughs> Definitely. But you know, if you're still looking for recommends, we have so many Halloween horror reviews now on the site from over a decade of doing this. So yeah, we have um, around seventy on the site. So plenty of stuff to work through in all different decades, all different mm-hmm. eras and styles of horror. Um, so I'll link to that in the in the show notes. So if you've liked our roundtable discussion, please give us a five-star rating or reviews and share the episode on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Three Brothers Filmcast. Goodbye, Mr. Bond. I bid you farewell. <laughs>